Hey guys, this is the Real Life Monopoly Podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partners and brothers, Kenneth and Kerwin Donis. We are real estate investors, and the point of our podcast is to help you reach your financial goals, which will allow you to have time to focus on your true passion so that you can live not only a happier, but more fulfilled life. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. Today we'll be having Keely Hubbard out of Texas. Keely is a multifamily real estate investor. Keely works alongside her dad, And together they have taken down three different multifamily syndications. On today's show, Keely talks about her sales background and how she uses that when talking to investors today in her syndication business. She also talks about how you should approach that conversation with a new investor and what your presentation should look like. Keely was an amazing guest and she's an awesome person. We really, really enjoy talking to her. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Thank you for tuning into the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partners and brothers, Kerwin and Kenneth Donis. Today on the show, we'll be having Keely Hubbard out of Texas. Keely, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, Keely Hubbard, like you said, from Texas. I'm actually a seventh generation Texan, which I think only Texans say that. <laughs> um, but I am a multifamily investor, and I'm also um, a sales coach and strategist as well. So how you got into real estate? I have the privilege of being in business with my father. So my dad's been an entrepreneur his entire life since I was a kid. Um, I've watched him grow companies and I quit corporate America about three years ago. Best decision I ever made. And it really opened up my time, obviously, <laughs> um, and gave me the opportunity to explore going into business with my father, which we've been in business together before as well. Um, but I really appreciate his wisdom and guidance. And um, yeah, we just, we have a lot of fun. We make a, a kind of a good team and balance each other's strengths and um, are able to operate in our strengths and really feel like we're doing great things for our investors. So we uh, we love what we do. We love the real estate markets. We actually had a financial market background. My dad's been a professional trader for years. Um, I come from that industry as well, more on the education side. And we just noticed a lot of shifts, you know, in the stock market, futures, Forex, options, all those markets over the last, well, really five to six years, but um, especially as of recently, and realized we needed to start moving our investors into hard assets. And that's what opened up the multifamily world. And we never looked back. We wish we'd found this, you know, 10 years ago. And you mentioned that you pretty much went from working a corporate job straight into multifamily. Is that right? Yes. I, I had another business at the time, but it did open up the the time for me to be able to pursue this with my father, which I'd always wanted to do anyways. Gotcha. So I know that you said that you're working with your dad. Do you mind explaining what your role is with your company and, and how you guys pretty much split up the, the roles that you guys have? Yeah, absolutely. So he is really the numbers guy. He's does all the underwriting um, acquisitions, maintains all of our broker relationships and asset management. And I'm the people side. So I get the privilege of talking to all of our investors, managing our brand, um, you know, putting ourselves out there and getting the message out there. And I also manage the capital raise from start to finish when we go under contract and then all of our investor communication after we close until we get their returns and their money back. And um, yeah, I just I love what I do and I love working with people. So I think it's a good fit. So you touched on the brand and I, I did really want to go into that. Um, what is like the importance of building a brand, especially when it comes to the multifamily real estate space and what can that do for someone's business? I think sometimes people may focus or get too caught up in, um, making something really pretty that they forget the people side of things. Like, yes, it's so important to have a professional brand and, you know, brand colors and logos and all the things that matter. 
But a lot of times we get too caught up in that when we should just be on the phone talking to people <laughs> because that's really where um, rapport and trust is built. It's such a relationship business, especially when people are giving you their hard-earned money and they're handing you you know, $100,000 for an investment deal. They need to be confident in your ability to execute the business plan and you know, be a man of your word or a woman of your word. So building a brand that's really around people uh, is so important and people know and are very clear on what you stand for and what's important to you and how you uh, perform in your deals for your investors. Just as much as all the pretty stuff and the marketing and all the things that make us look good, we've got to back that up with kind of the, the people side of things. Awesome. So, so you're pretty much saying that building the brand is more so based off of the relationships that, that you have more than, um, of course, the content and, and the way your, your brand looks is important, but the main thing is, is to build those relationships and pretty much develop those? Yes, absolutely. And I am um, one of the, my favorite things that I heard from a mentor of mine. I went to a big business conference and he said, it's so important that you fall in love with your ideal customer, not your product, because that's where a lot of businesses make mistakes. They fall in love with this new product that they want to design or like in our world, they fall in love with their multifamily deal um, or how they market themselves and they forget that you don't have a business without the people and you don't have a business without your ideal client. So if you can really understand what are your investors' biggest pain points, what are their needs, what are their challenges, um, if you could create magic and solve them for them, what would it look like? And that will guide you to the types of markets you should be in, the types of deals you should pursue, and most importantly, um, your messaging and how you message what it is that you do and does it resonate with your audience. If you're speaking their language, um, and that comes from understanding their world and kind of getting out of our own head about all the things that we love about multifamily. Get in our investors' heads and what are their needs first. Yeah, can you uh, touch on what your company's ideal uh, client or customer is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's funny because you have such a wide range of most people think, okay, well, what are your customer you know demographics or your investor demographics? And they're all different ages, but I would say the one thing that ties all of them together is the need for higher returns in a stable investment. Because a lot of them have had money in the stock market for years. They've been through, um, some of them, two market crashes in their lifetime. So their portfolio has been cut in half a couple of times and you know, has returned. But when they look at the, the total number of what they've got for retirement, it's not anywhere close to what they thought it would be. Um, on top of that, people are really nervous with where the markets are at right now and concerned that there could be another crash coming. And how do I make sure that I you know, protect that nest egg? So that is the one thing that ties all of them together is how do I get really solid returns, but also make sure that my investment's protected at the same time? And whether they're, you know, man or woman or, you know, age, doesn't matter if they have a career or they're retired. That, that's the one thing that I would say is definitely our target, our target audience. Yeah, and to kind of dig in a little bit into that, so of course you figured what worked for your company, uh, and like you said, there's a broad audience. You know, there's either business people that have money just don't have time to invest in real estate. There's people that are coming from the stock market, you know, taking these, um, you know, hits from the stock market, trying to kind of equalize their losses. Uh, but how do you, or or what kind of advice would you give as far as a targeting an audience that would kind of relate to you or mm -hmm. uh, an investor that might be listening to this? Yeah, I think, you know, the most, I think the people that are most successful in this space have a very niche, you know, audience. And I have thought about that in the future, you know, how do I 
target women specifically, which I know <laughs> doesn't apply to y'all, but there's a lot of women out there that, um, you know, they're the CFO of their household. Most of the women, according to a lot of research, manage their household investments. So it's knowing your target audience and speaking to that, um, that group and especially business owners. You know, business owners are always trying to figure out ways to reduce their taxes. <laughs> they are usually experts at it and some of them don't even realize there's this whole other, you know, world of real estate investing. There's a guy that I follow on Instagram, just love his business model. He actually uh, repairs credit. That's what he does. And I'm like, I like this guy, I like the way he markets. And all of a sudden I saw one day that he was getting into multifamily. I'm like, that's so weird. Like I never, you know, that wasn't our connection on there. And I saw that he literally bought an apartment complex that was like 130 units just for the depreciation <laughs> against his business because his income was growing, the company was growing and he needed the write-offs. So there's just, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of avenues. It, I think it's getting the message out there. Sometimes these multifamily deals are like the best kept secret. <laughs> a lot of people don't even know they have access to them. Most people think I've got to be, um, you know, super wealthy to have access to, you know, this type of a, a private fund, but you don't, you know, we, we definitely take sophisticated investors and um, there's opportunities where people can put in, you know, 50 grand instead of 200. That's the benefit of partnering up with, with, you know, experienced people who have track record in the space. Um, you may not know everything about syndication or multifamily at all, but as long as you have a basic understanding of the concept of investing in a real estate deal, you can find someone like you know Harvard Capital or anyone else that's really doing deals. Reach out to them, and then pretty much you're going to be able to invest, and in, in that way you get that experience. Um, to kind of go into social media, do you mind touching on what that what what part social media plays in building a brand? Definitely. Um, <laughs> the first thing I'll say is it's easy to get distracted and overwhelmed by all the different social media platforms out there. And so a lot of people think that I've got to, I've got to be on every single one of them. I got to have a presence on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Clubhouse. And the problem is they're, you know, they're spread so thin that they're not getting their, they're not being effective. So even with social media, I would say niche down. Um, I've spent a lot of money in marketing <laughs> trainings and masterminds. Um, some that are specific to social media that I'm in right now. So you've got to figure out where is your ideal client? What platform are they on? And in the multifamily space, um, personally, I believe, and what I found is most of them are on Facebook and LinkedIn. And a lot of times as well, we build this beautiful brand or this beautiful you know, profile or business page and people aren't really wanting to go to business pages anymore because they're so sterile. There's no face there, it's just a logo. It doesn't really have a personality. Like people want that connection. So you'd be a lot more effective talking about multifamily or what you do from your own personal profile on Facebook and figure out where your ideal clients are and go interact with them. Don't ask them for anything, but just go dump a ton of value. You know, go find a, a group of business owners and give them a bunch of information about, you know, tax benefits and multifamily, not asking them for anything, but again, just like answering questions, finding um, kind of those niche focus groups out there where your investors might be. And you know, you can still cross post, you can post stuff on Instagram and other accounts, but you can't assume that just cause you, it's what's that old movie field of dreams. If you build it, they will come in marketing. It's if you build it, they will not come. Like they don't even know you exist, right? You can build this yeah. beautiful website and nobody's going to see it unless you're out there directing people with signs, right? Like, Hey, I'm over here. So build a beautiful profile, but make sure that you're going out there, you're finding your investors and you're giving a ton of value. That way, when they go check you out on your profiles, then you've got, you know, your profile is your business card. 
and you've got a great, you know, freebie on there that's maybe an investor guide or a tax guide or something that would cause them to want to engage with you. So there's a lot on social media, but hopefully that's a helpful kind of high level perspective. No, yeah, for of sure. It. And to get more into it, so say that someone's new and they're starting to post social media content, trying to build that brand and attract capital. How do you how do you think they would be able to um, get people? Like you said, you want to. It's pretty much like a call to action. You want them to actually engage with your content. Um, how do you get people to come to your site? Say you just made a website. How do you get people to come if, if you're not really? Uh, it might be good content on it, but then no one really knows who you are. You know. So how do you think you attract people to your website to your social media page so that they can kind of notice? I think it's having a strategy of again knowing where your ideal client is. So if you know if you're on Facebook and like if I was targeting. Um, women my age that are business owners, then I would go find some women business owner, you know, focus groups or Facebook groups where, you know, where those women are and how can I provide value? Could I do a quick, you know, video for them on, hey, here's, here's an additional way to cut your taxes. Give them an idea of how multifamily works and not ask them for anything, not say, hey, come, you know, come sign up for an appointment on my website, but just be in that group and commenting and giving as much value as I can. And those people will come to you. And that's how it's worked for me in, um, my sales coaching business, I, I go into groups of business owners where they have questions on, you know, sales and conversion, all these things. And I just go in there and give a ton of value without asking for anything. And people naturally will say, oh, that's really cool. Let me check her profile out. And they go to my profile and I, you know, I've got a freebie on there. It's, you know, a free sales ebook if they just put their email address in and it has so much value in it. So I think that people are getting inundated, especially on LinkedIn. You'll see this lately. I hardly even check my messages anymore in there because it's just everybody wants something in your inbox, right? Everybody's jumping in your inbox and they want to set up an appointment or it's just, it's too much. So people are totally getting shut down from that, which is why I would not recommend cold messages to people on social media platforms because everybody's got their walls up because of it. So find people, find your ideal clients, interact with them, comment on their posts, you know, real specific like comments, not just, hey, really cool, right? But Hey, I love that quote. You know, it reminds me of a situation that I went through a couple years back, you know, love to see you building your business, like genuine, authentic engagement with people, which a lot of times people don't want to hear that because I don't have time for that. I just want to let me just mass message 100 people. Well, it doesn't work. Right. So if you want something that works, you want to build relationships, you got to give to people and you got to be authentic in your approach. But it's going out there and having a strategic process every day to comment and engage with those people. Yeah, for sure. And something that you touched on was finding an ideal client. You keep kind of bringing that up. Um, it might be a little counterintuitive for a lot of people, but why does finding a niche and focusing on, on one avatar um, is another way to say it. Why, why, why would that help you attract more people? Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that kind of like narrow it down to just one type of person? A lot of people would think that's not, you know, a lot, a lot of people are going to end up coming to your content because if that's not me, then, you know, why would I uh, engage with their content? Yeah, it's the messaging because when you niche down and you know your ideal client's pain points, the language that they speak, they find you because marketing like really successful marketing is strongly attracting the, the people that need your help and strongly repelling those that don't in a nice way. Right. But it's just if I wanted to build a huge investor database and I want to go after women business owners, I can speak their language. I'm going to pull them in a lot quicker and build a database faster than if I were to try to speak to men and women, business owners and people that have a 401k or a W2. So it just, you know, start there. And once you build a big brand, then yeah, now you can start talking to everybody. But if you want to become successful, start, you know, become a niche, niche down, 
Um, I think of a, a good friend and partner of ours and one of our deals, Colin Plackian. He comes from the oil and gas industry. And he said, I want to help these guys in my industry because his message resonates with them. And if his message is, if you're tired of the boom and bust of our industry and need stability in your investments, take a look at multifamily. Yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't attract everybody, but it's going to pull in a lot more oil and gas investors than if he just had a generic message up top that didn't speak their language. So niche down until you can build a big brand. And then after that, you can begin, you know, spreading out and speaking to more people. Yeah, that's awesome. And say that we're able to say that someone's, you know, just starting to make content and they, they do that. They follow your instructions where they're going for someone niche and then they actually have investors start reaching out. Well, what do you recommend they say to that person on the first touch um, in, in regards to, you know, SEC guidelines, SEC guidelines and, and all that? What would you recommend um, they, they say? Should they have a script? You know, and if so, what should be on the script? We could probably spend five hours on that because that's like my world. <laughs> I love, um, and when I say sales, I just mean communication. To me, sales is disarmingly honest conversations. That's it. How do we get our walls down where we can have a very transparent conversation to see if we should even work together? And I believe that the, the most important thing before you start any phone call is setting the right expectations because people will naturally go into those, people naturally push salespeople away. So even though you're like, I'm not in sales, I'm trying to help you with multifamily, they're so, we're inundated by sales ads and people want something from us all the time, so we naturally have our walls up. So we've gotta put their walls down. So even on your website, if you're saying, hey, if you wanna talk more about multifamily, schedule a call here, you need to tell them what to expect of what's gonna happen in that phone call. So I would just say something like, we'll make sure that we get your questions answered, We'll explain to you kind of high level the types of multifamily opportunities that we provide. And we'll also discuss the types of investors that we accept into our deals. And together, we'll figure out if it makes sense for us to work together or not. And if for some reason we can't help you, we'll be very upfront and we'll let you know that. And if for a reason you don't want to work with us, you know, if it's just not a good fit, that's okay. And we hope that you'll let us know that as well. And sometimes that's better done through video. It's a lot, you know, people can see your face and see you saying it. They see how genuine you are. It's easier versus just copy, right, and text. Um, but regardless, there, there needs to be expectations set. Um, so that's kind of before they ever schedule the phone call. And then when you're on the phone call, it's crucial that you let them know that. You know, what we do isn't the perfect fit for everybody. And so I think it's important for us to kind of walk through your investments. I'll probably have a lot of questions for you just to better understand your world. Hopefully you're okay with that, right? So people, a lot of times, um, they skip the intro. They go straight to their pitch. Let me convince this person of why multifamily is so amazing. And the minute you start doing that, you start exhibiting typical salesperson behaviors. People's walls go up. They start shutting down. And they just want to get off the phone. So we've got to do the exact opposite of all the bad behaving, you know, salespeople out there or multifamily syndicators out there. Um, you know, and it's not people's intention. It's just nobody's. Most people have not been taught sales or they've been taught bad sales <laughs> behavior. So setting that expectation from the beginning that you're going to have a lot of questions for them to better understand their world. Are they OK with that? Right. They say yes. Um, you're probably going to have a bunch of questions for me, too. I'll make sure we get those answered. And together we'll figure out if it makes sense for us to um, to keep working together or to go to the next step. Does that sound fair to you? And when you start the conversation off that way, they just feel like they can. OK, she's not they're not waiting for the impending close or the pressure or the big pitch. It's just let's just have a conversation because I don't even know if I can help. But let's talk about it. And in my opinion, in my 17 years of sales, that's what's made me successful is just helping people get their walls down so we can be transparent. It's definitely a different approach to sales 
uh, just, you know, the stereotypical trying to close, trying to pressure, um, that doesn't necessarily seem to go that well for a lot of people, especially us. I like the way you approach it, where you're just kind of just being a natural person and just trying to, like, help them if you can. But if not, there's no worries, no pressure at all. And yeah. I definitely think that that is definitely more effective, in my opinion. Um, and, and to kind of go into, um, say that you already have that investor database and you will skip the part where you get the deal. What do you do when you're making your investor presentation? What do you make sure that's on that investor presentation? I know that's kind of a, a loaded question, but what are some key things to include? And maybe just some tips that a newbie might want to know going into that, because that's something that, you know, no one really teaches, you know. Uh, it's yeah. usually just how to underwrite a deal, how to get the deal, how to talk to the broker. But no one really talks about how to present a deal to a seller. So, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, an investor. Do you mind going in? Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, the easiest way to present your deal to investors is to do a webinar. And if they can attend it live, that's awesome. If they can't, they can always watch the recording, which you, you'll typically see a mix of the two. But the most important thing in this webinar is that, number one, you figure out who on your team presents the most skillfully. Because investors, if they're just meeting you, you know, they, they're looking for, it's first impression. And they're, they're thinking in their mind, do I have confidence in this sponsor to execute the business plan and take care of my money? So you need to have somebody that speaks with confidence, um, that has some charisma, that, you know, smiles and doesn't have <laughs> what we call RBF, you know, um, for women. If you're just sitting there, I've seen this before on webinars where you've got managing partners just sitting there with just a, you know, a cranky look on their face. And I'm like, you got to fix your face. People are watching, right? Like everything that we do, um, we have to be thinking about how it comes across to our investors. So you need to have a very confident, skillful speaker, but not over their head, Harvard, you know, if you went to Harvard, great, but don't, you need to speak eighth grade level to people because that's what they understand. And the, the bigger words that we use, we sound like typical salesperson, we can sound condescending. So speak their language, speak at an eighth grade level um, when you're doing these webinars. The other thing that you want to keep in mind is with everything you're presenting, every slide that you present or every piece of information that you present, sometimes we get so caught up in why the information is so amazing and why we're excited about it and we forget what does it mean to them? Why should they care about the fact that occupancy in the area and all the comps are 93% and above? We make that connection in our mind, but our investors don't always make that connection. So with every single piece of information that you present, you need to always remember, okay, and this, this is why it would matter to you, or this is how it helps our investors, or this is why we're confident in this deal and our investors are excited about this property in this specific area. So you've got to connect the dots for them. Some other things that I would tell you as well is um, setting expectations so they understand that, you know, our, our capital raise, for example, our full capital raise is, you know, 5.3 million, whatever the number is. We've had a really great response so far. Sometimes these deals reach full capacity before we close. And if that's the case, you know, investors that don't meet that deadline or if we hit that capacity before we close, we unfortunately would have to turn them away. So if you've got questions um, that you that have gone unanswered or you want to speak to somebody individually, reach out to your lead sponsor um, and take a look at the documents and make your decision as comfortably but also as quick as possible. So it's, it's letting them know because these deals, some of them do oversubscribe pretty quickly. Ours did. Um, we only, luckily only had to turn a couple investors away because we try to stop the capital raise before things get <laughs> out of control where you're having to turn away a bunch of people. But letting them, them know that up front. And also, I'll give you one more. They need to know what their communication is going to be like after the deal closes. 
when are they going to hear from you? And when they hear from you, what can they expect? What type of financial reports will they get? What type of information on the property? When are they going to see your face again? How often do you travel to that market, to the property? So we've realized that proactive communication with investors is crucial. You would rather give them more information than what they want versus not enough information. So financial reports aren't enough. So we send every kind of detail you could imagine. I mean, my dad and I've got selfies with Patty, who's the general man manager at one of our properties, because <laughs> we want to, we're like, here's Patty, she's the GM, you know? We've told him about her, how, you know, how great she is and managing everything. And so we show him pictures of that. Um, we recently did an investor webinar post-closing. So after we close, it's all of our subscribed investors, just to set expectations of here's what's gonna happen over the next three to four months. You're gonna see occupancy actually go down. We're sitting at 60% right now. This is a large value add deal, but we've got to evict four tenants. So you're going to see occupancy go down in the next monthly report, but that's been planned for. We have contingency funds. Our break even's at 58%. So all of this is included in the business plan. Then you'll see it start to climb as we begin renovations. So anything that would help them understand what to expect so they never feel caught off guard or nervous about what's going on is crucial. So over-communicate when you can. Um, and I know I probably gave you more than what you asked for, <laughs> uh, Jeffrey, but just it's communication in everything, everything in these investments. Because it's, it's a lot of money that people are putting into these deals. Yeah, I, I kind of want to touch on that. So, um, of course, you try to give them as much information during these webinars, um, but investors are not, you know, some investors, it might be their 10th passive investment and they're, you know, they're just like, send me the, the information, send me the forms, I'll sign, I already know what I'm doing. Some investors, it might be their first. So for somebody that it's their first um, and they've kind of done their own research, during these webinars, do you ever uh, kind of answer questions ahead of time? Of course, I'm sure that there's definitely a lot of questions that you answer, but um, are there any like questions that you answer ahead of time that most people will not think of asking? That is a great question. So if somebody's brand new, I would definitely like part of your job in your business as you're building your investor list is to educate your investors because you may not have a deal right now, but you might have one two months from now. So in the meantime, how can we educate them maybe using other deal examples or previous deals that you've done so they know what to expect when a deal does arise. They, they've already got a lot of their questions answered. Um, I do think that it's important to answer maybe some of those more basic questions or ones that are specific just to them before the webinar, but they can always ask them at the end too. I mean, the lead sponsors are typically pretty flexible in making sure all those questions get asked. We've also done, you know, frequently asked questions at the end. The stuff that always comes up, you know, how much is the general partnership team investing in this deal? That's a big one. So we, we get ahead of it and answer that um, question up front. But yeah, I mean, you just, you know your investors individually and how much information they need. So I would definitely take it on an individual basis but know that at some point, all their questions for some personalities, they can't move forward until they check all those boxes. So you gotta make sure we know what those boxes are and we also ask them um, if they have any more questions that we haven't answered so far that would help them get comfortable to say, you know what, this is a great fit for me or no, maybe it's not. Just to get them to a yes or no decision so we don't have a bunch of possible capital or maybe capital or 500,000 in the pipeline, but no clue how much is actually gonna go into the deal. We don't want those scenarios. We just need to pe people to get to a yes or no and our jobs to facilitate giving them that information so they can get to that place. Yeah, and going back into the investor presentation, you touched on really, really making sure that you are uh, relating the information that you're giving them back to why it's important to them. Um, I like to think of it as making them their, their hero of their own story. 
I, I read that from the book that uh, the building a story brand brand by uh, Daniel Miller. Uh, but it's so important because like to, to them, right? You kind of want to make sure that they understand why it's important to them. I mean, all these numbers and the, the different markets that you're in and the business plan, all that can really, it's good for their returns and all, but like, why is it important to them? How is it going to help them reach their goals? That's really how you keep them long-term. And I, I feel like you build that good relationship with the investor. Um, and going into, once obviously you start raising a lot of capital and you start building a lot of relationship with these investors, you're going to get to a point one day where you're in a deal and you already have enough capital. So you might need to, you know, turn some people away. Is there like a waiting list that those people go on or do they kind of just say bye and, and you kind of just say good luck on the next one? <laughs> you always want to keep them, um, you know, keep them in the pipeline you may have another deal that's coming up. I would just be very careful that you don't blindside them with that, you know, where all of a sudden, and I've worked with this on one of our capital raisers on our last deal, a partner of ours. Um, we stayed in very close contact. So he knew how much was in um, the account that had been funded already. And he had a couple stragglers that just hadn't made a decision yet. So he was very much keeping them up to date every single day saying, hey, I'm certainly not wanting to put pressure on you, but I just want you to be aware. Here's where we're, at, where we're at. We have 10 investors and we only have room for four. So I just, I don't want you to miss out, which is why I'm keeping you up to speed on what's going on on our end. And what else do you need from me to be able to decide if this is a good fit or not? So the ones that you do end up having to turn away, um, oftentimes you can find another deal to place their capital if you want to you know, direct them to another sponsor that you trust, or you can let them know that you're still actively looking in these specific markets and you know, are doing everything you can to find the best investment opportunity for um, the next round of investors. And also tell them they're not the only one, right? There's quite a few investors that couldn't get into this deal. So we're actively searching for the next opportunity and we'll keep you up to speed on when that opens up. So pretty much when when you're building that investor database do you have a certain system that you like to keep track of them because like you said uh maybe it doesn't work for this deal but for the next one how do you know when to call them and how often to call them is this something that you kind of just do whenever you feel like it or is there a system to it <laughs> yeah there's a lot of great um systems out there that you can use that are they're called crms so some are more expensive than others. I would say in the beginning, the easiest way is you're building. If you don't, you don't need these big elaborate systems and processes, but you could start with an Excel spreadsheet and use something like Asana. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Asana. It is life changing. It's free. <laughs> if I wasn't owning my own business, I'd be finding a way to sell Asana <laughs> to everybody because I love it so much, but it just, it streamlines everything. You can put all your reminders in there with trigger dates and all you have to do is log into Asana every morning and it's got a list of everybody that you need to touch base with and call. Or, you know, all your other tasks, you can have asset management in there, everything can go into Asana. So that's a great place to start. It's probably the easiest way um, and it's also free. As you build, there's CRMs out there like Active Campaign um, that are incredible. You know, for a CRM, you'll probably pay 50 to 60 a month for a, a program like that, but it's also got automated email systems where you can build out an entire, entire funnel where emails are triggered at various parts of the process from somebody that you just spoke to that joins your investor group or your club once they're in the deal. Like you can have all these emails and communication that are triggered that you don't have to do anything. You just put them in the system and the system takes care of it for you. So active campaigns a great one for that. But there's, there's a lot of great systems out there. I will note something that I learned in one of my masterminds recently is that the email program, the open rate of your emails, right? So many people get your emails and actually open them is largely dependent upon the program that you use. And active campaign and get response are the two of the highest, have two of the highest open rates on emails. 
So something to think about. And you can use Active Campaign for less than 50 a month if you're just doing emails without the CRM component. Um, so to kind of go into our express round, where I'll just pretty much ask you a couple of questions and uh, you can answer them as best you can. You can tailor it towards business or personal life, uh, whichever you prefer. You ready? Uh-oh. Is there like a timer? I feel like I need to drink some water. <laughs> You're good. Yeah, take it down. No, no, no timer. But okay, it'll good. be me. Yeah. <laughs> I would just be asking the questions at a, at a faster pace. Okay. <laughs> You're fine. Everyone's okay. always fine. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made in real estate, and what did it teach you? Oh, geez. Um, that's such a big question. I would probably say on our first deal, it was, I feel like we communicated really well with our team. And if you were to ask them, they're like, y'all are great. But looking back, how much we streamlined our follow-up deals, we were trying to email everybody in, like, in, uh, in sorry, email Dropbox, instead of using a system like Slack or Asana that would streamline everything, make our life easier, make our team's experience uh, so much better because capital raises can be stressful. Usually all of them are. There's a lot of moving parts um, and being able to streamline all your communication and how you manage your team will determine largely largely your success going forward. Of Are people willing to join your team um, because of how you handle and how you lead it and manage it? So we learned a lot after our first deal. And um, yeah, I'd say that was probably one of the biggest ones. <laughs> Lessons learned. Uh, what is your favorite book? And you can tie this one into a business and personal life if you have one for you. Mm, that's such a great question. Um, so this, this is a weird one that I'm gonna come up with. I have a couple, but one that I'm loving most recently is called Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I love his work. I'm going to one of his retreats this year, uh, but he literally talks about just the whole, all the science behind the brain and how you can rewire a lot of those pathways that are formed that literally determine how we live our life day to day. So I'm a big Joe Dispenza fan. Um, another one that I love is called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist and it's so much um, gets you out of that scarcity mode that a lot of us wake up and as soon as our eyes open we're thinking there's not enough time there's not enough money there's I have all these things to do and we just get into the spin mode and she really flips that around and helps you realize that there's so much abundance and it rewires a lot of the the money mindset that we form when we're kids and we're completely unaware of it and how it affects our life. And I'll give you a third. There's one more called The Untethered Soul, which sounds like it's a really deep book, but it's not. It's by Michael Singer. It's so good. It's just about all the crap that goes on in between your ears that drives you nuts every single day and realizing that this mind of ours doesn't belong to us. It's just in survival brain because that's how we used to live. We used to have to run and be in fight and flight from these saber-toothed tigers, but we're not anymore. So it's how do we manage this, you know, crazy head of ours day to day. And in my mind, these may sound like personal books, but they absolutely affect business and everyday life. Because I know for a fact, if you can change what goes on between here, you can change and really create your entire life that you want. Awesome. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received or that you would give someone? Oh, my gosh. Um, the best piece of advice that I would give and that I've also received is that life is not a dress rehearsal. So a lot of times we, we go through life and we don't take these risks or you know we're afraid to step out of our comfort zone or we're afraid to launch the business, we're afraid to go live on Facebook or whatever it is, afraid to quit the job, all these things that we're afraid of um, that we create these worst case scenarios in our mind. And you know I think about my grandpa who's 90, he's about to be 99 this next month. And 
you know, he's lived such an incredible life, but even at 99, he's starting to talk about all the things that he wished he had done. Something as small as I wished I tried out for football, you know, when I was in high school. And I realized that like, I don't ever want to get to the end of my life and think, I wish I tried that. I wish I had stepped out. I wish, you know, and I, I really figured out what I was made of when I quit corporate America. Well, it was scary as hell. Yes. <laughs> but I knew that if I didn't do it, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And I felt like I was lying to myself. And so what holds me accountable every single day is that sticky note that I have on my bathroom mirror that life is not a dress rehearsal. And I have nothing to lose. So why not get out there and figure out why I am actually here on this planet and what I'm capable of um, and the impact that I can make on this world. So yeah, hopefully, really <laughs> hopefully like that helps. Oh, that. sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're good, Carwin. Sorry, I had a delay. No, you, uh, if, you, if you're not done, I want you to continue because you were just giving all the audience a lot of value. And, and I think that that's, I just wanted to say that, you know, I think people live more fulfilled lives. If they live by simple things like that, that people might think are cliche, but they're cliche because they're true. Um, but yeah, I would really love it if you could just continue your thought. You're on a great roll. <laughs> yes. Well, I, okay. So I'll give you um, one more of my absolute favorite speeches. People say, what's your favorite quote? Well, this is my favorite speech um, that I hold so close to my heart. And I have actually incorporated it into a lot of my sales coaching business because I work with business owners and it's Teddy Roosevelt's uh, the man in the arena speech and there's a primary question that I have coached my clients to ask themselves every single day and that I've also um, asked myself I have it on coffee cups you know so I look at it every single morning but um, Teddy Roosevelt's speech talks about the fact that the difference between people that live their life um, sitting in the stands versus people that live their life in the arena getting beat up, bloodied, you know, covered in dirt, you know, sweat, you, you know, you take risk in life, you fail, you, you know, you fall flat on your face. Um, but at least you're in the freaking arena versus people that are sitting in the stands and never know the feeling of victory or defeat. And so that question that I ask myself every day is, are you sitting in the stands or are you standing in the arena? And I want to live a life where I'm in the arena every freaking day. Because I truly believe that, that that's how you go through life and you don't have regrets at the end, right? And I, there's been so many times that I, when I quit corporate America, um, I started a business, poured everything into it. It was going to be everything to me, right? And it, literally like six figures of just money, time, my heart and soul was in it. And it just overnight, poof, disappeared. Didn't work out. Partnership broke up. And it was like, Oh my God, like, did I make a mistake? Should I not have quit? Like, what am I doing? Right. And that's when you're in the arena and you're covered in blood, you're, you're bruised. Right. And you have this decision. I could either go sit in the stands, go get a cushy VP of sales job somewhere else. Right. Have the title and the salary and the stability and the safety. Or I could pick up my sword, get back in the arena and do what I know I'm capable of. So it's it just this idea of like, are you playing it safe? Or are you standing in the arena? And that to me, that's everything. That's what will push you. That's what will help you show up as your best self. And that's what will help you figure out, like, why am I here? Who are you here to make an impact on? Because you'll never figure it out, though, until you get in the arena. So for, for me, that's everything. Yeah. And, and this is not really a part of, like, the express round. Um, but I did want to kind of touch base because it seems like you're very in tune spiritually. Um, and there's always a moment in every single person's life. And, and I feel like my brothers and I have kind of gone through this. And, and although we're still on our journey searching for the exact purpose, but there's always a reason or a, a moment. And it might be like a, a kind of long term, um, you know, maybe a few years, a few months. 
Uh, but what I'm trying to say is there's a moment in life in which you realize, and, and I kind of like to say like you step outside of and just kind of look from the outside into your life and you kind of wonder what is your purpose? We are spiritual beings here on this magical earth and we kind of think what is my purpose here in life why am i here why am i meant uh, what am i meant to do so but there's always a moment that kind of flicks that switch and so i'm just curious when do you like kind of know when that moment for you was that kind of just switched your mindset on like the outlook of life in general that's such a great question because you're right people do talk about that defining moment and for me, I think it was going through that kind of first big business loss or blow up, right? Because when I, when that happened, I sold everything I owned. I was in my dream home. I was driving my dream car and I, I sold everything. I was in six figures of debt after this, you know, a lot of six figures of debt when this business business went under and you have to figure out like what you're really capable of. And I remember sitting in the master bedroom of my house and it was totally empty. All the furniture had been sold. We literally sold everything, chandeliers, everything. Picture frames, it was all, it was all sold. And I thought I'd have this big like boohoo cry moment, <laughs> right? Looking at my backyard and this gorgeous like resort pool that I'd always wanted. And I didn't feel anything. I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to be crying. I'm supposed to be sad. And it was in that moment that I realized like, these things are just things. And what I was searching for in my life in corporate America as well, my ultimate goal was to become VP of sales before I was 30 and I did it. And I remember how fleeting that moment was. And I realized sitting in my master bedroom of that house that I'd sold, right? And I'm moving out that that's not what makes you happy. Searching for significance and certainty in life will always leave you feeling empty. But growth and contribution is what really makes you feel fulfilled. Growing, meaning doing things that scare the hell out of you. <laughs> Just to figure out what you're capable of makes you feel alive. And then all the lessons that you've learned make that a part of somebody else's survival guide. That's the whole contribution piece of it. So it's been a journey <laughs> for sure. I don't know if it was ever just one moment, but I am so flipping proud of myself that I got back in the arena and I didn't go back to corporate America because that to me was a cop out. And I would have never felt like I was living true to myself had I done that. I'd feel like a fraud. So it, it's, it has, and it's been hard, right? But it's such a powerful, incredible journey. And I truly believe that business is a spiritual game. It's absolutely a spiritual game. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree with like everything you've had to say. Um, and, and I definitely agree that, uh, especially what we've come to learn is rock bottom is the best foundation to build upon. And that's what I like to tell myself, like when I have like reached that moment in life and kind of switched my direction as to my projection as to where I was going, I realized like, man, like it can't get worse than this. So it's like, mm -hmm. you can make yourself become something or you can just, um, you know, just sit around and do nothing. And, and, you know, some people still do that to this day, but um, business has really taught us. And like you said, it, I think it's a spiritual game. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, speak with people, reading all these books, it makes you become so uh, in tune with the universe and, and it makes you become very powerful within yourself. So I definitely yeah. agree with what, what you had to say. That's awesome. I love to see it. Yeah, I saw a quote that it reminded me of. It says, rock bottom will teach you lessons that mountaintops never will. 100% yeah. agree. 
I love that. And I mean, yeah, I kind of wanted to, you said so many great things and something that I really liked that you said was um, about how you just have to show up and um, being uncomfortable. That's where the most growth happens. I, I was actually going to say that and you took the words out of my mouth. It was awesome. Um, because yeah, like the days that I'm, I'm doing like not non-productive work where I'm like maybe taking care of like uh, administrative stuff. I don't feel very fulfilled. Like I feel like I wasted a day when I'm making those uncomfortable calls, getting completely out of my comfort zone. And like, I'm terrified, like I'm shaking, I'm nervous. Like that's when I'm like, yes, this is like, this is it. You know, like <laughs> I, I go to sleep, like dang, today was a good day. You know, even yeah. if it was like, a bad call, I'm like, you know what? Like I learned something from it, you know? And so I yeah. think that that's absolutely like a great metaphor for being in the arena. Um, like you're, you're risking your life. Like it's, it's life and death, like you're high stakes, but that's where the most growth happens. And that's where you get the most out of it. And I think that's where you should live life is like, mm-hmm. on, like you said, not on the sidelines, but in the action. Um, because yeah. worst case, like if you fail, you, at least you're like living to your full potential, like you said. And also, um, I mean, that's like the most fun way to live life, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to live in complacent place where I'm, like you said, not feeling, feel, fulfilling your full potential. You want to mm-hmm. make sure that you're, um, just, yeah, living the most thrilling life you can. And I think that's for us, it's more of like an exciting thing. But other people that just might be like chasing a purpose and for you as well, you, you, I could not, I could not say it better myself. So, um, do you have anything else you want to add to that Keely before we move on to our, our final question? Um, you know, I will, I will add one more thing. Like my dad's taught me so much about life and, you know, falling down and getting back up. Cause I've watched him as an entrepreneur since I was a kid and, you know, he's just, he's reinvented himself over and over again. He filed bankruptcy. He was a millionaire at 28 years old. And then he filed bankruptcy at 45 and lost everything. And just something that wasn't his fault. And he didn't have to file bankruptcy, but he did it because it was the right thing to do ethically. And that's always been my dad, right? I've always seen him do the right thing no matter what, because your integrity is all that you have. But I've watched him reinvent himself, you know, over and over again. And it's given me the confidence to realize like, failure is not, you don't internalize it. It's just, it's just a step in the process. And, you know, you didn't die and you didn't lose your family and the work, you lost all the material stuff, but start over, right? Build, build from the ground up. And, you know, he's a Marine. So he always says, you know, you run until you can't run anymore. And then you walk and you walk until you can't more until you walk until you can't anymore. And then you crawl, but you keep moving forward no matter what. And it's just giving me that like resilience, you know, no matter what happens, I know you just, you just keep moving forward every single day and you'll figure it out. Right. And the next step will reveal itself. And I would rather live my life. What people think is crazy (laughs) or a roller coaster. Why don't you just go get a job? No, I'd rather figure out why I'm here and I'd rather make a really big impact. And I know that I can do that from going through a lot of crap, you know, to, to give lessons and pass that on to people that will need it in their own survival guide with what they go through in life. So thanks for letting me share that. Something that we always tell ourselves in our business, like in our, in our wholesaling business when we first started, um, something we always told ourselves is when we were going through a bad experience, whether it's like a bad seller or um, just a negative experience, we are like, all right, we know a good thing is coming. Like the universe is testing us. If we get through this and we know, like, like you said, um, the mountain and, the, and the, the hills and valleys, like we're in a valley right now. That means we know a hill is coming. So we just got to <laughs> tough, weather the, weather the storm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, do you have any daily habit that, um, you do every day that has contributed to your success? Um, I hate the word journaling, but that's what it's been for me. And I'm not a journaler. Like when I first learned this, I was like, I don't do that. Like write your feelings down, but that's not what it is. Um, for me, journaling is I am statements and it's setting up the day of who I need to show up as today to accomplish what I need to accomplish in my business and my personal life. It's envisioning yourself, you know, who do I see the Keeley five years from now? I have to show up as her today if I want to get there in the future. So 
it's writing, you know, I am, you know, money flows through me because I'm a force for good. I'm the CEO of my life. You know, I, if like I'm having to tackle a task that I hate, I'm not excited about, I'm full of creativity, right? Like maybe I have to design something on the website. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it because I have this, you know, I'm just brain fog. I just, I'm full of creativity. Ideas flow through me freely. Like whatever I need to believe about myself for the day that helps me show up as who I need to be for my clients, for my business, for my family. It's, it's setting your mind up from the very beginning, not just waking up, looking at your phone, checking your email, and then rushing into the day. It's deciding who you're going to be today first before you go into it. And that's truly what I believe, how you have fulfilling, successful days. And they're not all perfect, <laughs> but this definitely will help um, help increase the probability of it. That was awesome. And we appreciate that. And for anyone in our audience who wants to reach out and connect with you, what would be the best way to reach you? Uh, they can reach me on my email. So it's just Keely at KeelyHubbard.com or of course, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever you can always find me on there too. But yeah, I, I love chatting. I love talking multifamily and I love talking life. So would love to hear from you. Great to have you. We really appreciate you coming on the show and just giving us so much value. Um, and yeah, I mean, hope, yeah, thank you so much. We look forward to connecting soon. Thank you for having me. Y'all are such a unique um, family and group, and I love what you're building. And I can't wait so to much. see what you're doing for investors. Yeah, yeah we definitely appreciate, appreciate it. having you on. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Monopoly podcast with the Donis Brothers. If you want to learn more about what we do, make sure to visit our website, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com. And if you aren't already, make sure to follow us on all platforms at Donis Brothers. Let's be great today. Have a good one.